Welcome to episode number 30 on the My Story Podcast. On the My Story Podcast, we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show. So how are you doing? Are you staying healthy physically, emotionally? Are you taking care of yourself? It's so important right now to take care of yourself. I encourage you to make that a priority because when you were healthy, it's easier to accomplish our purpose. So today on the My Story podcast, we're going to hear from Dr. Marlene Carson. Dr. Carson calls herself a Sir Thriver. She is one of America's foremost authorities on the subject of human trafficking. It's almost like having the wire for an invisible fence like the dogs have, like people have for their animals. The trafficker has that around victims' minds. While many have a textbook knowledge of the perils faced by teenage girls and young adult women who are forced into prostitution, Dr. Carson knows from her own personal experience. At age 15, she became one of the tens of thousands of girls and young adult women who are exploited daily. But through her faith in Christ and sound biblical teaching, Dr. Carson's misery became a mission to helping teen girls and women who are seeking to be free from the slavery of prostitution. This is an interview you don't want to miss, so please stick around. Well, today's podcast is brought to you by Conjo Studios. Conjo Studios helps you tell your story through powerful video content and podcast production. If you want to tell your personal or business story through a video or a podcast, I would love to talk to you. If you have something to say that the world needs to hear, I would love to talk to you. Send me an email at conrad at conjostudios.com. Let me know you heard it here on the podcast and let's see how we can work together to share your message with the world. And now here's my interview with Dr. Marlene Carson. Well, today it's a privilege to have Marlene Carson on the show. Marlene, welcome to the My Story podcast. Thank you so much, Conrad. It's a pleasure being here with you today. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Oh, so my name is Marlene Carson. I'm actually in the great state of Ohio, the heart of it all. And uh, I run a <laughs> go Bucks. <laughs> I run a, a a survivor-led anti-human trafficking organization. Wow. And it's called The Switch, uh-huh, The Switch Anti-Trafficking Network. Wow. So what got you into that kind of work? Yeah, that um, is something I never thought I'd be doing. And unfortunately, uh, I say unfortunately and fortunately, it's, it's the, the thing that I hate that I have to do, but the thing that I love doing, hmm. if that makes sense, you know? And so I am a survivor of domestic minor sex trafficking. I was kidnapped when I was 15 years old, a virgin girl raised in the church and put into prostitution. Wow. Now, was that in your yeah. hometown, in your, in your home city? Mm -hmm. That was right there in Columbus, Ohio. And um, although I was taken in Columbus, I was exploited for the first time in New York City. Wow. So they took me out of the state. Yeah. So were this people you knew or or was it you know, who was that? It was it was people that we knew was our neighbors. Um, they moved into our neighborhood two years prior before the actual exploitation happened. They got to know all the neighbors. They got uh, infiltrated in the school, in the church, in the community. And um, they really um, they did, Conrad, what we call grooming. Hmm. They groomed the entire community. Wow. So they kind of built uh, but, relationships with you and made friends with you, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Not just me. Cause I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So they built relationship with the parents. They built relationship with the school teachers. They built relationship with the pastors. Wow. And so one thing about a trafficker, uh, when they have their target set on a, a particular victim, they will wait it out. It took them two years to actually get us myself and three other victims into a trafficking situation. But um, so they they became totally familiar with um, the parents who were going through financial struggles, who were mm -hmm. going through a divorce, 
who were having domestic violence issues. They studied every parent in our neighborhood. Wow. Now, is this kind of and their then business? They targeted, this, is, this is why they moved into the neighborhood? Is this, this what they did? Oh, yeah. This is their business. Hmm. This is definitely their business, for sure. Uh-huh. And that's the other thing. Most people think that um, sex trafficking or even pimping um, is something you see these guys doing on the streets. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. That was definitely not my case at all. I've only actually been on the street one time um, in this whole ordeal, during this whole ordeal. Um, trafficking is a structured business, just like any other business. Traffickers actually use a business plan. Mm. So this is a business just like anybody else's business. Wow. So this weren't, this wasn't a typical big kind of luxury car wearing the big, uh, you know, uh, what you see in the movies, all the gold chains and the, the luxury oh, no. <laughs> coats and stuff that you see that a pimp would wear, right? So I, I kind of giggle about that because most people, when they think of a pimp, they think of Huggy Bear, mm -hmm. who you just described, mm -hmm. okay? <laughs> they think of a big uh, white brim hat, a mink coat, platform shoes, mm -hmm. and no, that is definitely mm -hmm. not it. However, you mentioned luxury cars. I can tell you that in their everyday life, it may not look like that. However, in their business world of trafficking, is my, at least for me, it was very luxurious. Mm. It was, um, again, I wasn't a street prostitute, and I hate to use that word, mm. but I wasn't exploited on the streets. I was exploited at the golf outings. Mm. I was exploited at the Oh, I'm great. Drop a name. I can't say that. <laughs> I was exploited at major events. Anywhere where there's a lot of men, there's a lot of alcohol, mm. there's also prostitution. You can, I can guarantee mm. you that. So these were so, high-paying clients. These were people. Very high-paying clients. Mm -hmm. so, so for me, as a 15-year-old kid, they uh, would pay two to three to $500 per hour. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's and there was a timer set on that, and so, like I said, this was not street prostitution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so how did you get out of that? I mean, what was that? I mean, I'm sure. And, and what was your your parents? What what did they do, or did they look for you, or what? You know, what happened there? Oh my gosh, they they did exactly what any other parent would do. Um, actually, my mother almost had a nervous breakdown, and my father turned into an alcoholic. I can imagine. And so it, it was really bad. It affected our entire family horribly. Mm -hmm. But um, during the process, of course, that, you know, when you have a child that's missing, you, you do what it takes to find your child. Mm -hmm. On the back end of that, the trafficker was telling me, nobody's looking for you. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares about you. And so all of that plays into the mentality of a victim after they get out the life. I never realized how much damage was done not only to my body, but to my mind and my spirit. A lot of damage. Wow. So they basically made you dependent upon them. They make you totally, totally dependent on them. I run an organization now um, called Rahab's Hideaway, and Rahab's Hideaway is a housing organization for victims of trafficking. And one of the clients that I talk about a lot is, um, uh, well, she was a client that the trafficker did not even allow her to turn on the bathtub. She wasn't allowed to hit a faucet. Wow. He controlled every single thing about her life, mm. everything. And so that does not only make you dependent, it makes you feel like um, you're almost like you don't know things. You just simple things that we take for granted. I remember the first day she was in our house, in the program house, we sent her upstairs to take a shower and she just started screaming. And so we, we knew she was a cutter and we were thinking she was in there cutting and come to find out by the time we opened the door, she, there's no blood. And, and I'm asking her what's wrong. And she says, I don't know how to turn a shower on. Mm. Well, he had her since she was 13 years old. She's now 19 years old during this time. And so she literally did not know how to cut it because he really, he messed her head up. And that's something the trauma that takes place during trafficking is something I think people really need to understand because people say, well, why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you call the police? Why don't you run? When It's almost like having the wire for an invisible fence like the dogs have, mm -hmm. like people have for their animals. The trafficker has that around victims' minds. You've been programmed that you can't go outside these boundaries. 
Totally. You're totally programmed not to go outside the boundaries. Wow. And you comply. If you don't comply, you get beat or one of your sister survivors or what they call wife-in-laws, they get beat. Hmm. And you don't want to see that happen to, to neither one of them. Would they threaten to hurt your family? Oh, absolutely. To kill your parents. Hmm. To kill your siblings. Oh, yeah, that's that's something that's very typical with traffickers. And you never know if they, they're serious about doing it because sure. you've seen what they've had capacity to do, you know, before the threat. Mm-hmm. You know what they these are evil, evil people. Hmm. So what mm-hmm. was what was the process for you to get loose from that or to to uh, you know be freed from that? Well, um, I, I kind of answer that question in two ways, because. You said, what was the answer, the solution, basically, for me to get free from that? My body became free from that. Mm. When they rescued me, there was a bust. And so the trafficker got arrested Mm -hmm. and I was able to go back home. However, I was not free from the trauma. Mm. I was not free from that day to day. And, And I've been out of the life 30 plus years and still are dealing with the effects of trafficking. Hmm. And so, you know, I think it's interesting because um, I know it's only because of Christ, Jesus Christ, that is, that I've gotten as far as I have. Um, But everyone does not come to Christ. You know Hmm. what I'm saying? And some people are very mad at Christ for even um, allowing this to happen, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, submitting to Christ in that process has been phenomenal for me in my healing. But again, everyone doesn't do that. So when you ask, what was the process to freedom? I'm still in the process to freedom. Hmm. How old were you when you, when the arrest was made to the people that had held you? Oh, wow. That's another loaded question. So um, I was just about to turn, I think, uh, 16. Hmm. However, so he goes to prison. Mm-hmm. However, there was another guy in our community that he was grooming. He was grooming all the young boys Mm. to become pimps. It was like the culture at that time. It was the cool thing to do Mm. for some African-American boys. And and I only say African-American boys because that's the neighborhood I grew up in. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was, you know, it just didn't hit African-American boys by any means. But that was my community and my culture. And so... There was another young man that um, befriended me, knew what had happened to me, and was helping me, per se, with this process. And he was actually being groomed by the trafficker that went to prison. Hmm. So the story didn't stop there. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. So were Mm -hmm. you going to school during this time, or were you just doing... Oh, no, I didn't. The last um, grade that I completed in school was the eighth grade. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. This all happened when I was in eighth grade. Wow. So I later went back to school and, you know, mm-hmm. got my high school diploma and degrees and all that kind of stuff. But right. yeah, right. that happened. I, the last traditional school I was in was in eighth grade. And, and unfortunately, some of the clients that we serve, they have a third grade education. Mm. Right. Wow. So just looking at the timeline, so you were in eighth grade when this kind of went down and then you were in that life until about 16? Is that No, I was in that life a lot longer than that. Okay. The question you asked was, <laughs> when did the bus happen? No, I was mm. in that life longer than that because as I stated, I came out the life physically, but my mind was not out of sure. This is what I knew. And then honestly, when I came back home, the, my father, who I was the apple of his eye, now can't look me in my face. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of transition and a lot of pain in this, Conrad. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter, um, I, I don't want to go into a lot of this story, mm-hmm. but I ended up legally married to a trafficker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a whole other part of the story that's way too long to tell on your hour <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, I, so just uh, take me through, okay, you kind of went through that. Now you run these organizations that help mm-hmm. people like you were. Yeah. So how did that happen? What, what drove you to oh my gosh. reach back and help others along the way? You know, Conrad, I believe that there was always um, something in me to help people even before this happened. 
And so one of the, the only time I was put on the street, I was put on punishment by a trafficker. And he had a girl out there watching me to make sure that I didn't run and things like that. And so this man pulls up in the car and he asked, and I don't know the language on the street. I've never been on the street before. Mm -hmm. So he asked me, was I dating? And so I looked back at her and I said, what do I tell him? And she said, tell him yes. And so I did. And he said, how much? Of course, I knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. Well, Conrad, you have to picture this. I was on the worst street in Columbus, Ohio, which Mm -hmm. is Bain and Champion. I mean, it's full of drug addicts. I've never done drugs. I've never tasted alcohol in my life. So I'm in a a culture of people that I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. But so when he asked me how much, people in that that area of Columbus, they were being exploited for $25 and $50, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to put it in perspective for you. Mm -hmm. So when he asked me how much, I said $200. And the girl that was with me started laughing. She said, fool, nobody's going to give you $200 out here. And I said, well, I'm not, because that was our lowest rate. I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. Well, this man gave me the $200 and he took me to the house to commit this act. And he read the Bible to me for a whole hour. Mm -hmm. When he read the Bible to me and he began to say how much Jesus loved me, although I was very angry, I was extremely angry person. um, And I didn't understand the love of Christ by any means. I believe that was what planted the seed in me. Because that man could have did a lot to me and he didn't. And he that planted the seed in me. And he asked me that day, this man, is, his name is Brian and Brian has actually passed away now. But he asked me, he said, when you get through this, I want you to help other people. And I committed to him that day that I would help other people. I never knew how I would help people. I never saw myself doing this at all. Um, I never knew how to even do this. When I started the first organization, Rahab's Hideaway, I had $4,000 to my name, Conrad. And I literally went rented a house for $2,000 a month. It was a six-bedroom, four-bath house on Ohio State's campus. And I just began to house girls. I didn't have policies, protocols, no kind of procedures, no kind of staff. I didn't have anything. I just knew I wanted to help these women get off the street. And that's really how it all started. So how did you... How these girls come to you? Did you find them or did you invite them or what, what was that like? So we did a, which we still do, we do street outreach. Um, I used to do it a lot. I don't do it anymore, but, but we would go on the streets five days a week and we would hand out toiletry bags. We would, so a toiletry bag is basically a bag with full size um, soap, deodorant, lotions, a $5 gift card. We would hand these bags out, which we would get these bags from area churches. Mm -hmm. And so we would hand these bags out to the girls on the street and we would do a survey. So we would get, collect data of what they needed from, you know, from us to help them to get off the street. How did they get on the street? We, we met women that um, were nurses at our local hospital, ended up in a car wreck, ended up on opiates then ended up with a heroin um, addiction, which led them to prostitution and now lost their home, lost their children, lost their marriage. And so every victim, every person that we see on the streets or, or that we know are being exploited, they did not choose this. They absolutely did not choose this. Life circumstances happened and it led them to this. And so... And there's predators you know, from, out there who take advantage of people like that. Oh my gosh, they're waiting. Yeah. They're absolutely waiting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so. For the average person who's living their life, I mean, how how do you know who these people are that are these predators, and how can you prevent your kids or kids you know, like my wife's in school administrator? How how can they prevent these kids from, you know, going down that path or being exploited by these predators? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the professors I work with at Ohio State said it best. There is no profile that we can create that would show what a trafficker looks like hmm. because that trafficker can be the person next door, the person at your local grocery store, or the priest at the church. Mm-hmm. There is no profile. And so, what we tell um, parents specifically and even school administrators. Have open communication with your children. I think that is number one key. And and even though sometimes, especially these days, what children may want to express 
or share with us will make us cringe. These kids say some things to uh, parents that I would have never said to my mother or father just out of fear and respect. But in today's time, you have to be able to communicate with your kids and they have to be able to tell you absolutely anything. Because one thing about a trafficker, if parents don't have that open communication with their children, the trafficker will always listen. Hmm. The trafficker will always create what looks like a safe environment. That trafficker will always give them what you want. And so, and I'm not saying give your kid everything that they're screaming about, but I am saying have open communication with them and teach them. You become their first teacher. You become the first one that affirms them. You be the first one that pats them on the back. And for fathers, you be the one that takes your daughter on that first date and you show her how a man is supposed to treat her because if she doesn't know, she'll accept anything. Without getting too graphic, what's that process of, of grooming someone to then putting them, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to work? Mm-hmm. So I don't even have to get graphic with that one. I was trained, Conrad, to be a bottom girl. And so let me just explain this to you. In trafficking, there is a hierarchy. And so you have your trafficker, you have your bottom girl, you have your manager, you have your John, which is the buyer. And then you have the victim or the one that's being exploited. And so um, in that hierarchy, I became a bottom girl, not by choice. I have to always say that, not by choice. But the trafficker, so a bottom girl is a manager or a recruiter for a trafficker. Hmm. And so once you become a bottom girl, um, then you have the responsibility to do the recruiting. You don't sell, they don't sell you anymore, but your money is made and plus by somebody else. And so, and and that's something I absolutely, absolutely hated. I used to get beat so much for refusing to go recruit somebody's kid. You know what I'm saying? And, And to be quite honest, I've actually helped girls get out of the life that the trafficker would recruit himself because I knew they were underage. I knew they were forced. I myself was secretly called a law because I I just, I couldn't live with it. Mm -hmm. And so anyhow, um, that process is, it goes first by befriending someone. There's a lot of kids in school today. I actually wrote a book, Conrad. The book is called 12 Steps to Transform the Exploited Soul. And that book is a true story based on a victim who was um, trafficked in her uh, middle school. And she was trafficked by the um, safety and securities officer at the school. Um, But the interesting part about it, they use people like the quarterback of the school to befriend the one at the at the at the school whose parents just went through a divorce. You know, she's lonely. She's confused. And so that's how that grooming process looks. You target the one that is going through some emotional, financial mental crisis. Hmm. And they literally teach you how, traffickers teach you how to do this. Hmm. And so once you, once they have their eyes set on the target, you begin to befriend them. You begin to spend money on them. Not a lot, just in, just enough to, for them to feel obligated and loyal to you. And then you come up with some kind of sob sad story like, I don't have any more money and we can't do this stuff anymore. But maybe if you would just go to the strip club, you can make money at the strip club. And and usually that's how a lot of traffickers start girls out. The grooming process to trafficking is through a strip club. I guess they'd have to be old enough to work there. or Oh, not. no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. That's why they have fake IDs, Conrad. <laughs> they definitely do not have to be old enough to work. Some of these girls are 14. They may look 20 by the time a trafficker finishes with them. But no, you don't have to have ID. No. Mm. These wow. are illegal businesses. So they certainly aren't going to comply to the law just because you're supposed to be of age. That's right. for sure. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I guess for a trafficker, it's easier to recruit someone younger because they're more vulnerable and out of streetwise necessarily. Well, the average age of entry is 12 to 14. Oh, my goodness. And so, uh huh. And so, you think about this, Conrad. You think about the 13 year old girl who her father is a CEO of a corporation. 
her mom is a stay-at-home mother that um, is part of the Bridge Club, is part of the associations in the area. She's a socialite. And sometimes she or he may not have time to sit with their child. We see that a lot. Mm -hmm. We see that an awful lot, actually. And so it's not like people think where it is inner city drugs and African-Americans. No, most of our girls that we help are Caucasians from the suburbs. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that at all. And so because of that, some of these younger kids just don't understand why um, daddy wants to go to work or play golf with his golf buddies because that's how she sees it. And mommy's off at the at the country club with her friends. And now I'm here by myself. So I'm just going to have some friends. And now I'm going to get on social media. If I can't go outside, I'm going to make friends online. And so they don't realize that that young boy that you're talking to online is really a 40-year-old man. Hmm. And it gets him every time. Wow. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of social media platforms that, that to me make me cringe when I think about our young girls that are potentially what I call soft targets. A soft target is, is an easy target for a trafficker. And a soft targets is actually a military term when you can easily um, kill your enemy. Mm-hmm. And so these girls are becoming soft targets with this, like TikTok is one of the greatest platforms now. And TikTok is what, a 60 second video so you're on there dancing, half naked, being cute. You don't know who's watching you TikTok, okay? You just don't know. And so, and then people are reaching out to you because they saw your TikTok. And now it, the other thing that, that is a danger to me for these kids is they get friends like, they don't even know a person's last name. And all of a sudden, that's my best friend. Mm. That, and that's very dangerous to me. That scares me. Sure. Wow. So... Your organization, uh, the Switch. So, so, what do you guys do exactly? What, what's what's your what's your main mission, and and, and what are you doing to uh, to solve some of these problems? Sure. So, in regards to trafficking, our main mission is to train, equip, and advocate. And so, we teach um, on on several different levels, but we teach policymakers. We train, and so we're all survivor led. I'm not the only survivor. We have a whole team of survivors of sex trafficking from around the country. And actually I branded something called Antidote. And I say that we are the antidote for the human trafficking epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, t- trust me, there was an epidemic way before this pandemic we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I make a lot of comparisons on the two. What, well, I won't go into that tangent about COVID-19 <laughs> right now, but um, so we train, that's our biggest thing. We train, child advocacy centers, we train schools, we train law enforcement, and we have to get them to see and understand that these are victims and not perpetrators. Mm -hmm. These kids are victims. That's number one. The other thing we do is we teach entrepreneurship. When I came out of the life of sex trafficking, I felt that I didn't have any skills. I felt like I couldn't get a job. And now I also had children. I went in a virgin girl and came out with children. And so I felt like, what can I possibly do? Well, there was someone from a nationwide insurance company that sat me down and he actually took me through a process and taught me what transferable skills were. And so I learned that I learned a lot of skills in being ex- while being exploited. And so now what I do is I take those same assessments that someone helped me with and I teach other victims that they do have transferable skills and things that they can monetize now to sustain themselves and their families. And so entrepreneurship is really big. I actually just read a report from the Annie Annie Casey Foundation that said education and entrepreneurship are two things that will abolish human trafficking. And those are the two things that we focus on, education and entrepreneurship. Hmm. What can be done about the the buyers? Oh my goodness. You want my blood pressure to go up here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's the, the, the side we call the demand, mm-hmm. D-E-M-A-N-D. So, you know, of course it's supply and demand. 
if there was no demand, there would no need to be a supply. And so that is the area that we all are focused. When I say all, the survivor-led organizations and other um, uh, other ally organizations are also focusing on ending the demand. I don't think that the laws are strict enough for the demand. I think that there needs to be more policy around the demand. I think that those that are caught buying sex, street sex, sex from children, sex from exploited people should have to register as a sex offender. And right now they don't. Um, I think that there should be a lot wrapped around um, the demand side. There needs to be a lot of education awareness around the demand. Hmm. And, yeah. and and the folks you were dealing with, these weren't just guys driving down the street, picking up girls on the side of the road. Oh, by no means. By no means. Right. No, no, sir. So these were no, leaders sir. in the community and business leaders. and people These are people we vote for, people we buy cars from, and people that we see on TV. Hmm. Yes. Wow. You know, I think that I think the movies and television has uh, done a disservice in a way to to show a, a life that isn't necessarily accurate, you know, when it comes to sex trafficking. That's for sure. That's for sure. They they actually glamorize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some like you think about Pretty Woman. Hmm. Pretty Woman was totally glamorized. Right. And then if it's not glamorized, it's the shock factor. It's, you know what I'm saying? You shock people into these emotions that paralyze them and then they do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I, in my opinion, there's a lot of great movies out here, but for the most part, specifically domestically, there is definitely not a good movie that shows, and this is just not my opinion. This is the survivor community opinion. There is not a good movie that shows the life of a traffic victim that's a, a victim of domestic minor sex trafficking. It doesn't exist. So you talk about the survivor community. Is there a good network of of organizations like yours who are working together to help help solve these problems? Oh, it is. I belong to uh, probably the one of the most powerful ones. is actually called the National Survivors Network, and um, oh yeah, and it's it's survivors from all over the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. So what can someone do who may live in a neighborhood and they see some, they see a kid or that may be vulnerable and they think, well, perhaps this something is going on with this. What should we do? What can we do? I think there's a couple of things that we can do. First of all, we can just show them that we care. We can have a conversation with them. We can build rapport with them, just like that trafficker is building rapport with them. We can build rapport with them. We, I have a lady in Columbus, Ohio. It's so precious. This is an older lady. She barely has resources herself, but she lives in a community where all these kids are probably at risk. And so she goes and she buys um, fruit or she goes to our uh, free produce markets and she just gets fruit. And she just hands out fruit on a daily basis and she makes sure they have a sandwich or something to drink or it's just small things, but she's building relationship with them and she's telling them, if you ever get in trouble, you come here. Hmm. If you ever need to talk, you come here. And we know she's a safe place. Mm -hmm. Build a safe community for your children. The other thing is if you see something and you know that it's not right, it may not be trafficking, but you just feel in your gut this could lead that way, call our National Human Trafficking Hotline. And that hotline number is 888-373-7888. That number again is 888-373-7888. And I, I, I usually don't suggest that people call 911 unless you see a victim getting hurt right there on the spot mm-hmm. because our law enforcement, uh, as great as they are, they're normally out to make an arrest. Mm-hmm. They're not out to investigate. They're not going to be able, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're going to stop a situation from happening and, and go from there. But with the hotline number, they will send out investigators. They will see what's going on. And so they will be able to offer education and support to communities and, and my last suggestion is this. If you're wanting to get educated in your community, the Switch has two platforms 
that you can do that. One platform is called Sent to End Trafficking. And so that that is actually a five-day training. It's $18 and people can go on there and they can watch for every day of the, of the week, They can or five days of the week, they can watch education awareness on trafficking. The other thing is we have a certified courage coaching program. So if you're a leader, if you're a young person, or if you're a leader in your community, you don't have to be a young person, and you want to become a trainer on how to bring education to your community, become a courage coach. And so that courage coach is a certified program accredited through the switch, and you're able to get the education you need on how to abolish human trafficking and spread that education throughout your area. Hmm. So we might have talked about this a little bit before, but what are some of those signs that we can look for? So some of the red flags are if you see a child that has chronic um, attendance issues at school, mm-hmm. chronic runaway, where are they running to? Who's letting them stay at their house? If you see where a child, male or female, this applies to both genders, if you see a child that goes from not having much to now having two brand new iPhones, mm-hmm. to ha- you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like, where is all this money coming from? Now your hair is done, your nails are done. You have these new iPhones, new shoes, even boys, you have these new Nikes. Where is this money coming from? People need to start asking questions when they see things like that, because those are absolutely red flags. Hmm. And this isn't just, just uh, impacting girls, it's boys too, right? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And so it impacts boys anymore, just as much as girls. Hmm. Yeah. So, so the average client that you have that's who stays at Rahab's Hideaway, what's their process of getting back to a life that is quote unquote normal? So at Rahab's Hideaway, we have five areas of service and that those are housing, health, education, income, and justice. And so housing is kind of self-explanatory. You're able to stay in the housing program for two years where you receive wraparound services, you receive mental health assessments and care, you receive um, emotional counseling. It's just wraparound services. And so then with your health um, module, we have, um, um, not clients, we have um, a network of free services that are that's eye doctor, a dentist, a podiatrist, OBGYN, and a general practitioner that all offers their services for free. Now, the thing about that is, I I definitely understand um, free clinics, but for our clients, I prefer not to take them to a free clinic because we're trying to build dignity back. Mm. We're trying to build self esteem. So. What I did when I first opened Rahab Sideway, I went and I built relationships with a lot of these um, um, physicians in the suburbs. Where, they, where So going to a doctor can be a big ordeal. They want their hair done. They, they just have to go and they have to look absolutely perfect. And they're treated as a paying client. Hmm. And so that helps restore them. Our education platform, when we first started, we partnered with Youth Build Columbus. And Youthfield is a charter school that actually paid these girls um, $1,500 a month to go to school. Hmm. Now, let me tell you, <laughs> I never got paid to go to school, okay? <laughs> they get paid $1,500 a month to go to school, and um, they would be taught, they would get their high school diploma. They would also be taught either um, the state tested nursing program or um, become OSHA certified. So they would learn how to build a house, they would learn construction. And uh, so that's why they would actually get paid for it because it was part of their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we partnered with them, which that was just a phenomenal. I spoke to them this morning. That was a phenomenal relationship. Um, see, housing house, and, and then in our income module, by the time they get to, to that phase, we opened up a restaurant. We, we opened up a jewelry where the girls would make jewelry. Some of these girls, Conrad, would make $4,000 a month making jewelry. Wow. From their home. Right. Mm. And so we have a jewelry designer that would come in. She would train them how to make the jewelry. The jewelry is all sterling silver and Mikasa crystals, beautiful jewelry. And they didn't have to sell it. They just had to make it. Mm. 
and we had a different distribution where they would sell it at. And then our justice module, I feel like that if you, when you come through that program over 18 month period, your last six months of being at Rahab's Hideaway, you should give back. Mm. And so you can give back in one or two ways. You can either go help another girl on the streets or another girl come out the life of exploitation, or you can train and teach the, some of the other organizations that need to learn about this as well. And so I just feel like there's a component that because there's sometimes with victims, there's this sense of entitlement. And so that whole sense of entitlement thing has to be broken and they have to learn how to give as well. So that's kind of how it looks at mm-hmm. Rahab's Hideaway. So you are available or your team's available to travel around the country to do trainings? Oh, that's all we do. I'm telling you <laughs> that's I travel about 20 days a month, literally, mm-hmm. literally. That's kind of my job now. I don't so much do the day to day anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually um, am not over Rahab's Hideaway anymore. Um, there's another organization that manages that. And I now just do the switch where we, we do mostly training. Mm-hmm. And how can someone get in touch with you and maybe schedule one of these trainings? So you can go on to jointheswitch.org and we do have a calendar on there. You can schedule that on there or you can reach out to us. Our phone number is 614-800-4039. 614-800-4039 or we're all on all social media platforms at join the switch. I'll be sure to uh, include links in the, uh, in the show notes for the podcast. So people can great. Those great. Well, so a couple other questions I want to ask you just on, on, in your own story, who was the biggest influence in your life to get to where you are today? Wow. Who was the biggest influence? I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. And I actually think because there were certain phases of my life that people played an intricate role in. I mean, an intricate role. Um, One of the persons was my pastor's wife. Um, When I met my pastor's wife, she held an event and the event was called Redefined. And so that event was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And we laugh now about how much my life has been redefined, Mm -hmm. but my life is continuously being redefined. And it seems like in every phase, there's somebody new that comes in my life that helps me with that phase of my life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back a little bit. When I opened up the restaurant, Conrad, I never opened up a restaurant (laughs) in my life. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I had all these big dreams and, um, and so about three days before, and it was a new building. And so, you know, we really didn't know. It was a new building to us anyhow. The building had been there quite some time. But it was a new building to us. So I renovated this restaurant. And uh, three days before we opened, I met who I now call my restaurant dad. Hmm. I met a man who owned 45 restaurants in Columbus, Ohio. And he came over and he began to walk me through the process of owning and managing a restaurant. Hmm. And and so that's how it's been with everything that I uh, try to do. It's like God sends the person I need to help accomplish the goals at that time. It's Mm -hmm. been, I can't even give that credit to one person. Mm -hmm. I give it to God because Mm -hmm. he's brought them all, but I literally cannot give that to one person at all. Uh, Wow. What is your organization's biggest need right now? So, Conrad, our biggest need is we've just been donated a 40,000 square foot building on five acres of land. Hmm. We want to create a school. Two things that I'm very passionate about is education for children and entrepreneurship. So we want to create a school for kids aging out of foster care and those that have been victims of sex trafficking. In this school, uh, we will create an 80-bed facility where they can live while being trained um, to do uh, one of the programs. Well, some of the programs are like um, culinary arts, um, a STEAM program, not STEM, but STEAM program. Mm -hmm. So it's science, technology, arts, education, and math, Mm -hmm. and television production, OSHA certification. We want to teach these kids how to build a shipping container home. That's something that that we've done in Columbus. So we want to teach them how to do that. 
Yeah. And so that's our biggest need. We are in fundraising mode right now to um, raise funds for the PREP Academy. And the PREP Academy is an acronym for Positive Reinforcement for Education with a Peer Positive Approach. I know that was a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, yeah, so the PREP Academy is, as we call it, uh, a second chance uh, a first time for a second chance. Mm-hmm. It's a first time for a second chance for some of these kids. And this facility, this this place, is it in Columbus, in the Columbus area? No, it's not. It's actually in Amish country. Oh, really? Okay. It is. It's in Millersburg, Ohio. Very cool. I'm familiar with yeah. that area, so that's awesome. And so, how much money you're trying to raise for to outfit this and to get it going? Two million. Two million. Yeah, two million. Yeah. Well, I know there are people out there that can write big checks. Yeah. And I think this yeah. would be a worthy cause to get behind and to uh to uh to help make a difference in the lives of these kids. So the the, the 80-bed facility, this is going to be just girls or guys and girls. What's that going to look like? You know, right now I'm saying just girls. Um my board is saying that it should be both, but I can't imagine having boys and girls under that same roof. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that answer yet, Conrad. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's some not logistics like I'm, to work out there, right? Some yeah. logistics <laughs> to work out for sure. Uh, and so the interesting thing about the building is it has two parts to it where we could, we could actually um, have an 80 bed facility on one side for the girls and we can have another 40 bed facility on the whole, a different side hmm. and they can all come to school together. So that's, that could be an option. My goal was to get the school up and running before we opened up that second phase. Mm-hmm. However, if the funding does come in, we can open up the entire building at one time and we can house boys and girls mm-hmm. What's or your, males and females. What are your goals for timeline? What, what are you looking at for when you want to accomplish this? I would love to open this school. So we've already had some contractors come in. We've already had some quotes. Uh, we're working now with the architect. I would love for us to get up and running by September 2021. Mm-hmm. I would love to. So it's about a year and a half away, something like about that. About a year and a half away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this has been really a, an enlightening and educational experience for me, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. So what's one of the biggest life lessons you've learned along the way? One of the life lessons I've learned that there's two types of pain in this world, pain to change and pain to stay the same. Hmm. And you have to make a decision which pain that you, do you want. I've had to make many decisions because I didn't want to stay the same. And that's one of the biggest life lessons I've learned. Like we got choices. Are you going to make the right choice? And the right choice cannot just be about you. The right choice has to be about your family, those you love, and those you have influence with. And those whose life you may affect that you don't even know. Conrad, there's people that have watched my life around this country, around the world, actually. Honestly, I got a call about two months ago from a friend of mine who was visiting Africa. And she said, you're not going to believe it, but someone just mentioned your name here in Africa. And ironically, I found out later that I had two friends that didn't even know each other that were talking about that were talking about switch in Africa. And so you don't know who's watching and who's listening and whose life you're influencing. So you have to make decisions for those you may not even know. And that's one of the greatest lessons I've learned is it's just not about Marlene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. So last question along this line. So I, I make movies, I make documentaries, and when you're making a film, you generally have what's called a log line. Okay. A log line is that sentence or phrase that describes the movie. So when the movie about your life is made, what would the log line be? I would say that um, my log line would be, I'm a survivalist. It's, it's, okay, say it again. <laughs> survivalist. So I'm a survivor. Yeah, I'm a survivor of sex trafficking. Thriving in business and ministry, reviving others' dead dreams, visions, and purpose. I like that. Sir Thrivalist. Mm-hmm. Sir Thrivalist. Yeah, I'll have to write that down so I can look at it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Trust me, it's a word I made up. You'll never see it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but I do. That's that's what that's what I do. 
That's what, mm. So that's why the decisions I make cannot just be about Marlene. When I look at the, some of the girls that whose lives are absolutely transformed because of a decision that I made. Mm. Wow, it blows me away. It blows me away. I was going to say, how does that make you feel? Oh, what, my gosh. I, I, I mean, sometimes even those days when I want to quit, when I want to give up, when I say this is too much, when, when you see, you know, average age of entry is 12 or 14, mm. but I've met a six-year-old traffic victim. Mm. See, stuff wow. like that will make you want to quit. Sure. <laughs> because you right. feel like there's no end to it. But then I, I see those that are now in college who are married, who are biochemists, who is going to law school. You know what I'm saying? Those are the, the, the decisions that you have to make that affect their lives. Mm-hmm. It, it's been, I, I'm in awe. I just can't believe, uh, you know, people talk about a rags to riches kind of story. My life is a nothing into something kind of story. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, you have certainly done amazing things. And I had noticed on your website that you even received an award from President Obama. Yes, I did. Lifetime Achievement that, Award. That's pretty amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And There's a, another something coming up um, in about another month. I don't know if you want to hold this podcast off, but there's <laughs> something pretty amazing going to happen. They're going to announce it in about 30 days. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, Marlene, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for sharing your story and the work, the very important work that you're doing uh, for those, those victims of human trafficking. And, you know, I pray that God's protection would be over you and your organization, because you. I'm sure there's people out there who don't like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I pray for that protection over you and, uh, you know, God's blessing on the work to you, for you to continue to survive and to thrive. Yes. <laughs> in what you're doing. So uh, I really, really do appreciate you uh, coming on on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Dr. Carson, for taking time to talk with me. I can't wait to hear what your big news is. And we'll be sure to share it here in our podcast and on our Facebook page. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts and think that more people should listen, I would heartily agree. So why don't you give me a review on Apple Podcasts? That would be awesome. Then share this podcast episode with a friend. You can send it through a text message or an email or through a Facebook post. And be sure to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. The music on today's show is from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Last, be sure to subscribe to the show. You don't want to miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.